Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast to help you scale your Shopify store into a money-making machine. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interviewing the experts to help you thrive and build a business that makes you money. For exclusive offers, bonus content, and weekly episode reminders, join our mailing list at winningwithshopify.com. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone who's not tuned in before, my name's Nick. Welcome to the podcast. You are extremely welcome to be here, and we love the fact that you've decided to listen to our podcast. I hope we don't disappoint. For anyone that has been tuning in for the last few months, years, decades, centuries, we've not been going quite that long. But anybody who has been tuning in for a while will know that we've just sort of washed up a nice series on nailing it for your customer. And then we also had a bonus episode on SMS, which we actually launched earlier this week. It wasn't last Friday. We did it slightly later for a number of reasons. But again, a fantastic episode. So if you've not had a chance to listen to that, do go back and check that out. To give you a great statistic from that episode itself, SMS gets in front of, I think it was about 94% of your customers and the open rate is 94%. So when you send an SMS versus an email, much, much higher chance it gets opened and it also gets opened a lot faster. However, there are some tricks of the trade and techniques on how to do SMS. So our brilliant guest, Ira, was exploring some of those bits and pieces with myself last week. So if you haven't listened to that, please do go back and check that out today. Now on to today. We've got some really exciting series planned for the next three or four months. And today is the start of one of those series. The bad news is it's just me today. I haven't got a guest. Something fell through at the last minute. So we're going to have our guests starting next week. But I didn't want to miss another week because we have missed a few recently. I've had a bit of a cold and I'm also off for a few days because I'm selfishly having a birthday this week. And again, anyone that's been listening for a while is hopefully starting to understand my really, really bad, sarcastic British humour. So... Without further ado, let me tell you what we're going to be doing today and on from this day for the next sort of three or four weeks. We're going to be talking through a series that you probably saw in the title called Your First 1,000 Sales. Who's this for? Absolutely everyone. If you've got 1,000 sales, do not tune out now. There is going to be loads of important stuff to go through. We've broken this series into four parts. And I'm going to go through those four parts quite briefly today and do as much signposting as I can back to previous episodes where we spoke about some of these things to then build up a bit of suspense into next week when we're going to have our first guest talking about the first point on this. So we're going to be talking about the first 1000 sales. We're going to explore a number of topics as to how you can acquire some customers and all the different things you need to get in place. If you've got a thousand sales, there's going to be some great lessons to cover during this anyway. But I highly, highly recommend that you grab a pen and paper and we get cracking for today. And again, today is going to be the introduction summary. So I'm not going to go too deep on things, but just give you guys some examples and get the kind of topic started. And then we'll have some experts from some very successful Shopify stores and a few agencies coming in over the next few weeks. So without further ado, point number one of four. The first thing we're going to talk about today And again, if you've been listening for a while, apologies if I'm starting to sound like a broken record. This is so important. This is the chicken in the chicken and the egg equation, to put it blunt. And the topic is product. And product is obviously crucial to any online store. Why? Because you're selling products. So if your product is rubbish, you've already got a problem. If your product's pretty good, you've got a challenge, not a problem. 
And the challenge is how to sell it. If your product's not very good, I suggest that you stop listening to this podcast right now and go and find a better product or maybe listen to this podcast and then go and find a better product. But also for anybody starting out or anyone thinking they you know, want to start their own Shopify store, which you know, millions of people have been doing, and I don't say that lightly, that is an actual statistic. Millions of people since COVID especially have been starting Shopify stores, online stores, selling stuff out their garage and eventually quitting their jobs to run a Shopify business. So let's talk about products. I myself have completely failed at least once in the past to get product right. And what I mean by that is that, again, in, in tune listeners and regular listeners will know, I used to run a bamboo sunglasses business on Shopify. So my bamboo sunglasses business was quite simple. We bought some bamboo sunglasses on Alibaba. We chose ones that we thought were quite nice. We shipped them from China to the UK. We put them on our Shopify store and we sold them. What could be so bad about that? Well, in hindsight, it wasn't a great product to go after. The bamboo sunglasses we ordered were from the top seller on Alibaba, the best seller we could find, the one with the most ratings, which also meant that there were thousands of other stores already selling pretty much identical or at least very similar bamboo sunglasses, a lot of which were probably from the same factory. So what's the difference between us and them? Well, a lot of them had better branding, more marketing. Their websites were more trustworthy. Their pricing structure might be better. We just sold bamboo sunglasses. A lot of those other sites sold other things as well. So again, lots of reasons to not buy from us. I mean, don't get me wrong. We, we did a great job with our theme on Shopify and all the rest of it, but we didn't really have an edge. There was no reason to buy from us over somebody else. So some of the better products we've had on the show over the last year or so, some people have developed their own recipes of cake. For example, one of the guests we had, Dan from Deliciously Guilt Free, who's become a really good friend of mine, actually, through the podcast. Dan comes up with his own recipes. And if you're listening, Dan, hello. Dan came up with a lot of his own recipes for some brilliant brownies on keto diet, sugar-free, fat-free, which meant people could still eat cake, even though you're dieting. That is a challenge in itself to produce something like that. But the real strength in Dan's business at the moment is the fact that, and again, you can go back and listen to two episodes we've had Dan on the podcast already this year. I think, I think it was the second week of the year was the first one back in Jan. We had another one a few months ago. But Dan then started getting customers involved in what sort of recipes they should try, what sort of recipes they should test, etc. And so I think it's been quite an interesting journey, actually, that the strength of his business now is on the back of the community and the actual product, keeping it relevant to our first theme around products. And apologies if I sound funny. I've got a really sore throat, so I've got a throat sweet in at the moment. So apologies if I suddenly sound like I'm choking. But yeah, Dan's now got a brilliant product because his customers have helped him make the product and develop the product. But it also started from a place of wanting to solve a problem and really support a specific community. So there's things like keto diet, there's diet groups, there's you know medical conditions that mean losing weight can be quite difficult and appetites are higher than normal. And there are also people like me who just have a really, really sweet tooth. So being able to eat cake without worrying about the extra weight that's going to come with it. Absolutely fantastic. Again, a really, really good, strong product. Other products, again, our bamboo sunglasses, what's the barrier to entry to a new competitor coming in the market? You just got to go on Alibaba, register an account and order some products. And you've already halfway to challenging us. Again, the barrier to entry was so low. So if you can do anything to then have a differentiator about your product, for example, there's a shoe brand I've ordered from recently. And these shoes, you can customize them. The shoes themselves are made from recycled bottles. The shoes themselves have actually been designed, some of them which have been designed by influencers 
to famous YouTubers and Instagrammers. So you can see already there are so many reasons why this company is the only company to buy from, but they're also providing excessive value in what they're selling and providing as well, which is really, really important. So again, product. You need to have a, a product that works for a target audience, a product that you know people, I was going to say want, but want is not the right word. You need a product that people will see and want. So it might be something that they don't even know they need yet, which means you might write lots of blog content, lots of FAQ content on your website to then say, if somebody's searching a particular problem, our product solves that problem. Or what you might do, which is like we had a guest on a few weeks ago, they had found a whole load of old American watches, some of it was pocket watches, some of which were 100 years old, and they had started then refurbishing these into watches instead of pocket watches, so into a wristwatch, refurbing it, rebuilding it. Again, there's a real community of people that will buy those, which means the margins on each product are incredibly high because the product has excessive amounts of quality, but there was already a market ready to buy those products. So again, that's kind of it for me this week on product itself, because product is certainly not one of my strongest areas. The other three areas I'm going to talk about today are much, much stronger for me, given my experience. But again, if you're thinking of starting out, do your research. I wish I, if I could turn back time, hindsight's a funny thing. If I could turn back time, I would not go down the bamboo sunglasses route at all, unless I'd probably traveled to China or to wherever the factory was going to be and had sat with some designers and designed our own product that does something different or provides some sort of solution that other sunglasses don't. And I think that's the really important thing is we didn't have a product that was strong at all. And our branding and marketing wasn't very good either, which leads me on to point number two. So you get your product first, you know what you're going to sell, you know who you're going to sell it to. That makes all the other bits become incredibly easy. As someone who's worked in the agency world for 14 years now, nearly 15, I can wholeheartedly say that when a client has a strong product and they know that they know who their audience is and they've already tested their audience want this product, that it works, and they're already getting some sales, it's very, very easy. I mean, I say easy, it's easier. It's still difficult, but it's easier to start scaling up that product and, and the actual sales around that product and how many customers buy it. That bit's a lot easier. So we've got the product. Let's talk about branding and store setup as well now. I personally have undervalued how important the brand is. And the brand isn't just the logo. It's so much more than that. The outputs of brand are always going to be things like logo, imagery, font, all that sort of stuff. But there's more to it than that as well. There are things like tone of voice. There are things like what does it sound like when you phone customer service? Who answers the phone? And one thing I found quite interesting recently is I decided to set up a new bank account for some sort of thing we were doing. And this bank account, I signed up with a company that was actually based in the north of England. And part of their policy, which is a bit of a problem, if I'm honest, in the UK, is there is a big divide between the north and south in lots of different ways in the UK. But they had deliberately then said, we are a northern bank. Therefore, all our customer service teams are based in the north. And all of our hold music and stuff, we talk about things in the north that we love. And one of those is incredibly British, which will make some of you laugh, especially in the US. One of those things they talk about a lot on their hold music is British tea, which has nothing to do with the bank itself. But they say, you know, we estimate you've got at least six minutes left before we can get you through to an advisor. That's enough time to brew the kettle, make a cup of tea, and it'll be about three or four minutes away from being drinkable. 
And again, it's like, that's the tone of voice. It's part of their brand. It's part of the reason I like banking with them. Puts a smile on my face, makes me feel good. And the brand, again, is, is really, really important on the website as well. So again, much more in my remit, in my background, is, is the website itself. So branding on a website is everything from the color scheme that's used. I mentioned tone of voice. So do you have big capitalized headings that say, you need this or the world needs you sort of terminology? It's quite in your face and quite shouty. Or do you have branding that's a bit more, you know, maybe a skincare brand and it's a bit more, this is going to change your life and using words like soothing. You know, even just saying the word soothing makes you feel relaxed. So again, branding is so important in terms of how you sell a product. An interesting thing in branding that I've noticed over the years as well is colors. There are a few rules of thumb, and I'll talk about breaking them in a sec, breaking these rules. But there are some rules of thumb when it comes to color. And I am by no means an expert on this. If you pass me a pencil or a packet of crayons and ask me to design something, it would be lots of boxes. The boxes would not be straight. It would look horrendous. Everything would be 2D. I am not a designer by any capacity at all, and I've never pretended to be one. But there are some rules of thumb that I'm aware of. Things like red. Generally, a big bright red is going to be very, very shouty in your face. You want to get a statement across. So for example, one of the guests we had on several times this year, it was a founder of a company called Beast Gear, which is all gym equipment. They use lots of black and red and some bits of yellow as well. Very shouty, very in your face, but that is the gym culture. That, that appeals to people in that space. Whereas something like blue, a nice soft blue, is generally used for things like medical or financial because blue you know, initiates some trust. Now, what's happened over the last few years I've been fully aware of is a lot of these branding rules have gone completely out the door. And actually, there's been a lot of what I would call disturbers. So people have been what I would describe as disruptive, deliberately disruptive. So where you might have lots and lots of banks that used to use a lot of blue and it's all nice and soft, we've got a new bank in the UK to stick on the theme of banking. There's a new bank, in, well, I say new, they've been around for a little while now, but there's a bank called Metro which is a very American-influenced bank, which is very different to the normal trustworthy and safe branding and kind of tone of voice you would traditionally find around banking in the UK. And what we found now is this new bank is a, you get greeted at the door, you can bring your dog in, they're open till eight, nine o'clock at night, you get a cup of tea when you turn up. You know, if you call them, their branding is, is blue and red. It's really bright and it's very, banking shouldn't be complicated. You know, come and open an account with us. You can open an account in 30 minutes. Other banks, you cannot do that. And again, it's it, the branding fits the model for that business. So whatever you're thinking of selling, once you've worked out your product, the best place to start really is to look at some competitors and decide what you do and don't like. Then have a look at some, what I would call sub-competitors, which are sites that they're not competitive of yours, but they're in the same sort of industry. So have a look at some of those and think, well, what are they doing well that I'm not? And that then starts to go through the second part of this point on branding, which is store setup. So we are going to have a branding and Shopify expert on to talk about how do you get your branding right? How do you set up your first store? And how do you get things actually working in the first place? And so on the note of store setup, do your homework first. I think, again, I, to be really, really humble and transparent on this, I've been an absolute crook over the years in terms of process. Um, what I've done is gone and found a nice theme for WordPress or Shopify or Magento and gone, that's a really great theme. It just looks nice and it works well. I'll use that theme. What I should have done is gone, who's my customer? And this is what we do for clients, of course, is helping them understand who's my customer and what sort of branding would work for that customer. Should we have 
you know, is it a technical product? Is the customer expectation that they're going to need to read lots and lots of documentation before making a purchase? So again, we had a couple of people from a technical business that set up networks in America. So like literally, you know, Wi-Fi, Ethernet networks for offices and that sort of thing. And they said most of their content are technical guides, FAQs about how to deal with and, you know, kind of work around certain restrictions in the US and how to build a nice, I don't know, data network for your business that's completely secure, can't be hacked, is legal and will work for your insurance, all the rest of it. People expect to read lots and lots of text. So if they land on a page that's got a picture of a mountain and just lots of big, bold statements, it's not answering their question. It's not the technical info that they need to make a buying decision. On the flip side of that, if you're selling something quite simple, um, something simple to understand, etc., or even something luxury, you might decide actually the imagery is the most important thing. So, you know, we need to write a few bits and pieces about this product, but we don't want to clutter the page, pages with text. We actually want the images of the products to do the selling. You know, if it's a car or something, you want to start off by just showing the beautiful detailing and the alloys and how the window curves nicely and the reflection because the car's got nice polish on it. And then across the interior, you know, a nice sort of fade, great music um, on a video. It's going to show how comfortable this car is going to be to drive or, you know, maybe it's a fast car. Therefore, it's, you know, more down the sort of sports or supercar end. And it's, you know, and then suddenly it just it flashes up bits of detail. Like, you know, this has got a V12 engine, which is assisted by a hybrid system and, you know, little bits and pieces. Because, again, you're, you're not really selling a car, are you? You're selling an experience. We've often used to say in sales training years ago when I used to manage a sales team in a, in a past life, we always used to say, look, features tell, but benefits sell. So if your website just says, this is the product, this is the size, the dimensions, and how it works, that's not really why somebody's buying most products. What you want the product to say is, this is how it is going to improve your life. So what you could do on that data network, for example, is you could have a picture of somebody with a headache and just sitting there waiting for a slow internet connection to catch up. And then uh, something else saying like, and then we came along and suddenly like all systems are go. And the way they show that is just by showing a little control panel that sits on the side of the wall saying all systems are currently green. Internet speed is 400 meg down, 400 meg up. Nice and simple. And so again, it's, it's, it's speaking to the benefits of that. So the benefit of that is the business is online, the IT team are nice and relaxed, or the skincare brand is, you know, have clearer skin, feel better in yourself be your best, look your best. Those are all the benefits. The features are that it's a cream and, you know, it costs this and it weighs this and, you know, you should use X amount a day. So that all comes later. That comes as part of the buying and decision process. So again, we're going to be getting somebody on to talk about brands, talk about store setup and talk about some of the cool apps you can use on Shopify and give us some warnings about not using too many apps and all that sort of stuff. Cool. So we've been through product. We've been through brand and store setup. So number three, and this really is my bag. So I'm going to try not to go too long on this, but I, I haven't decided who we're getting on for this yet, but I've got a few ideas and I've sent some emails out and I'm sure we'll have somebody really, really good. But number three is talking about sales and acquiring customers. So let's be honest, none of us are doing this purely out of enjoyment. I know there's a level of that, but it becomes much more enjoyable when you've got some revenue to play with, to reinvest, you know, to spend on product development or to run some fun marketing campaigns and all that sort of stuff. So we need to get some sales. We need to acquire some customers. We need people to put stuff in their car, purchase it, put their credit card details in, and then send us some money so we can send them the product. So in terms of sales and acquiring customers, when it's a new business, because we are talking about your first 1,000 sales here, when it's a new business, you probably need to do some numbers first, some financial assessments. What you're not going to have 
is you're not going to have revenue numbers, conversion data, because you haven't made any sales yet. And if you've made like 20 or 30 or something through family and friends, you can't count that because your actual sort of new cold customer who comes in fresh, they're not going to have any of the same stuff that your friends and family have said when they bought the product. So where do we start? And that, that really is the big question. There's a sum that you need to work out, in my opinion, when you're first starting. The sum is how much money do we need to spend to get some data to make a justified set of decisions to then spend more and make profit? Now, I'll break that down because, you know, if anybody's not financially, I'm, I'm a very analytical thinker and I appreciate a lot of people aren't. So what I mean by that is the first few channels you normally start with are going to be advertising because you're not going to have any SEO yet. You've got no social media following, really. You might have a bit of that, but your ability to grow this business or the ability for this business to grow is going to be very, very much tied into your ability to run an advertising campaign and get a load of sales into the site. So what you need to work out is how much do you need to spend on something like Google Ads? How much money do we need to put into it to get enough data back? So the data is going to start telling you things like people who search this buy a product. People who search this on Google don't buy a product. Or if we advertise these products, people buy them and we make a bit of money. If we advertise these products, people click on them, cost us money for those clicks on Google, but actually they're not buying anything. And so again, when you first start, you want to work out how much do I need to spend to get enough data to make some decisions based on those things I've just mentioned. Because once you've got enough data to make some decisions, you can say, well, look, we might have five or 10 ranges we're advertising on Google right now or on Facebook. These are the only products that are selling. So what you might do is a kind of first action a month or three months in, depending on how much you spend, how much data you get and how much, you know, how much revenue you've made as well. Because let's be honest, the quicker you start making revenue, the quicker you can start reinvesting that revenue to make more sales and the snowball starts to build. Um, if anyone's not heard my snowball analogy, go and listen to any episode. I, uh, <laughs> I, do use it. I haven't used it for a while, actually, but I do use it quite a lot. The idea is just it starts to grow. This snowball starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger as it rolls down the mountain. The only flaw in the analogy is snowballs can hit things like trees and fall apart, which I, I guess any business could hit some sort of snag, you know, a, a law change or your supplier goes bust or, you know, the, the owner has a change of heart and decides to close it down, whatever. But the, the whole point is we need to get this first line of sales in. My general recommendation when clients ask, you know, we've got our new store, we've got our new brand, where do we start? I mentioned Google Shopping. Google Shopping is often the place that we want to begin. The reason is, is you only pay when somebody clicks on one of your products. And when I say one of your products, when you go on Google, you see the products across the top. Now, these, these are quite qualified. So somebody's not going to click on it if they don't like the image, the price, and the title of that product. So different to other forms of advertising where somebody says, oh, these guys sell shoes and they click on it, have a look at some shoes. This is not my style at all and click back. They wouldn't have clicked in the first place on Google Shopping because they would have seen the style of shoe they were clicking on and they would instantly know that style of shoe is not for me. So I'm not going to click on it. And so again, Google Shopping is very, very qualified and tends to convert pretty well when you start. It's very different in different countries when we're talking about this pilot budget, how much to spend to start getting some data. And we have a minimum in my agency in London called Spec. We have a minimum of around sort of two to five thousand pounds or dollars per month is where we'll often begin. 
But we also then create, especially with smaller businesses who tend to be more agile and can sign off budgets a bit faster as well. We have a bit of a verbal agreement with those guys, which then comes into fruition when we can get them enough revenue back that as soon as it's working, you know, say they got a 50% profit margin every, every time we're making two pounds for one pound spent. So if we spend the five grand and we make 10 back at that point, we would then turn to the client and say, well, look, we're in profit here or at least break even, or we're just above break even. We could double the spend and double the volume of sales here. Now, even if you don't make profit on that first order, all is not lost. We'll come on to point number four in a minute, because even if you're making a loss between your spend and your revenue on Google, there are things you can do to increase the revenue beyond that first sale. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, the principle is that on Google Shopping, you can run ads, you can then pay every time somebody clicks on one, they're pretty qualified when they click, and you can quite quickly see every single click and start analyzing that data. And we often say that don't touch anything for two weeks. So if we ever make a big change in an account, we want to leave it for two weeks, unless you see something blindingly obvious, it's clearly not working. We generally want to leave it for two weeks. Because over those two weeks, Google's algorithms are going to start catching up, especially if you use what's called a smart campaign. And you can Google Google any of this. Google ads are incredibly friendly at helping you spend money, which is another one of my sarcastic British jokes. But yeah, you can you can then run on what, what's called a smart campaign. Google will analyze all of this data and say, right, no one's buying this, but people are buying this. And they'll start making some of those adjustments for you in the targeting. And then over time, you can actually start feeding information to Google saying, we want a 200% ROAS, which means for every dollar we spend, we want $2 back, that sort of thing. And then over time, if that's working, you can then pump it up to 220% and 250% and 280%. And the finance directors start rubbing their hands at this point and saying, this is fantastic. How do we spend more? And so sometimes in larger organizations as well, I know we're talking about first 1,000 sales, but in larger organizations, we as a business often recommend that the right people are in the right meetings. So when it comes to PPC, if you can have somebody from the finance team there or a senior stakeholder who can make decisions on the fly in terms of budget, spend, how we adjust things, that's often a very powerful thing to help a campaign become a success. So that's point number three. And again, we're going to cover all of these in specific episodes over the next few weeks. But then number four, and this really is the diamond. This is the one that is the most important part for your business. This is your snowball. And it's called lifetime value. Lifetime value is a very well-known phrase in the e-commerce industry. Most of my regular listeners or our regular listeners, you guys will know what that means. We talk about it a lot. For anyone that's new or we're looking at this 1,000 sales, before you even turn the store on, before you even get your first few orders in, already start planning how you're going to try and convince every single customer to buy again from you. And better than that, work out how you're going to convince them to buy again and again and again and again and again. So going back to the Google ads for a sec, say you were, or any advertising campaign, say you were spending $10,000 a month and you were making $15,000 back, but the products themselves were costing you about six or seven and the advertising has cost you 10, you've made a loss. You've lost money on that campaign. But your ability to then start upselling the second product, the third product or second order, third order, et cetera, your business's ability to do that will really define the overall lifetime value and therefore the overall return on investment from your advertising efforts. We've even done a lot of very successful campaigns and these work incredibly well, if I'm perfectly honest. We've done campaigns with clients over the years where we've essentially offered a free product. 
and we've advertised that product as much as you absolutely can. We had one client in particular who sold commemorative coins of all things. So it'd be the Queen's birthday. They would get officially endorsed by um, the Royal Palace here in the UK. And yes, we all love our Queen. She seems to go on forever as well, which is just brilliant. So we love the Queen. The Queen will have her birthday and these guys will release a coin with permission from the Royal Family. And this coin will be free. And we will advertise that on TV and in the press. And you can go and buy this coin on the website. You have to pay £2 for postage and packaging, but the coin itself is free. So how do we make any money? Well, people order that coin and it arrives in a set, but the set is empty. You just get that first one. And this is where the marketing really kicks in. And this isn't for every business, but there are things you can do to try to hook that customer into their first order. These guys then email or call or send an SMS saying, you know, your order arrived yesterday and I hope you're enjoying it. If you would like to subscribe to get the whole set, it is just £20 a month. And we will send out another coin every month until the set is full. And once the set's full, you then get another notification or another phone call to say, would you like to, um, and we used to call that silver internally, would you like to go on to what we used to then call gold, which was the same again, but another set of coins. And it would be very, very similar to the first set that you got. So we would advertise free coins. People would go and buy them, which meant our ROI was infinite zero because everything we were spending, we were making no money back directly. But the, the volume of people in some campaigns, it was as high as 60% of people, then went onto a subscription of £20 a month for at least eight to 10 months, So which meant we we're actually making more like 160 to £200 per customer. Now, the cost of advertising across all channels, we estimated to be around £6 per new customer. So we're the cheapest cost of sale because we're offering something for free that people already want because they've seen it on TV or they've seen it in the newspaper. And then they were coming in to buy it via advertising campaigns because they already knew they wanted it. We'd already sold the concept. The ad was there. You click on the ad, takes you to the landing page, fill that out and buy it. So again, you might still focus on selling a full, you know, $150 pair of shoes or something to start off with. But have a think about how you're going to get that second order, that third order, that fourth order. Because as soon as you get your first customer in, it begins and you want to start getting those orders in. Again, a lot of this is financially focused and apologies for those who are sort of sitting there going, but I'm really passionate about my product. I, you know, I just want to sell a good product. I want to change the planet with, you know, my eco-friendly product. All of that's brilliant. And all of that ties in, I think, completely to these four things. If we can advise you over the next few weeks on how to get that that world changing, that world beating, although I shouldn't say that, and all Brits will know why I shouldn't say world beating, because our government completely screwed something up. And although I always say I'm not going to get political, and I always do on podcasts, but uh, yeah, if you've got something that is world changing, you can do a lot more with that if you've got the financial backing of people buying it and making profit, and you're scaling up, and you're getting more customers in. For me, the two work hand in hand. I think you, there is absolutely the thing that you can have an ethical business. So just to round up for today, we're doing this series. It's called Your First 1,000 Sales. The first episode next week is going to be all about product. We're going to talk about how to get a good product, how to develop a good product, how to know if you've got the wrong product, how to make a product better. Second week, we're going to get in an expert to talk about brand and store setup. So we're going to be talking about how to design a decent brand, how to get your logo and color scheme and tone of voice and all that sort of stuff absolutely spot on. Three weeks time, we're going to be talking about sales and acquiring customers, how to use advertising, how to run your first campaign, how to 
put a test budget into something to get a decent amount of ROI back and then start building a business and acquiring in new customers. And then in four weeks time, and I'll be honest, I'm trying to get one of my favorite email platforms on the show, but they're not keen. So fingers crossed, we'll keep, uh, if I need to, I might name them and everybody can go and badger them and tell them they need to come on for me. But I'm hoping to get them on. Then we'll be talking with those guys about lifetime value, about how do you, as soon as somebody's bought a product, how do you nurture them into buying that second product, that third product, that fourth product, etc. So thank you so much for bearing with me today. Apologies I didn't have a guest. I didn't want to miss another week. And also apologies I sound a little bit grumpy, very tired and I've got a cold. So thank you so much for listening. It's great to have you here and I hope to be back next week with our next episode, which I'm pretty sure we will be. Thanks for tuning in. Back next week. And thanks again for listening. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter for exclusive offers at winningwithshopify.com. And don't forget to check out our Facebook group by searching for Winning with Shopify on Facebook. Over and out.